oh my goodness, man, it's just so humbling to be in your presence, those joining us online, and the presence of God. He has shown up to show off in your life. And he doesn't care if it's deeply personal and public. I can't tell you how good it feels to see many of you that I haven't seen for two years. I'm grateful that you're back. If it's digital, I love you guys. I thank God for you. But let's start this way. I'll say, Jesus is risen. You say, he is risen indeed. Here we go. Jesus is risen. Jesus is risen. Jesus is risen. Yeah, baby. That's awesome. Praise the Lord. <laughs> and maybe, maybe somebody here is going to like, time out, dude. Let's take a breath before we get all worked up with this uh, Easter hoopla. Uh, what is the big deal about Easter? Well, if I can put it in a very personal challenge for you, I, I would say it this way. That your one and only life is a gift. Don't waste a moment of it. Over the course of this weekend, service after service, people have been baptized. Noah was just baptized earlier, and it's their, it's their declaration. I don't want to waste one moment of my life without Jesus in it. Um, so here's the Easter big deal. We are all born to be stars, not rock stars or movie stars or sports stars, but we are all born to shine. We are all born to stand out from among the many. We are made to be great in the eyes of God. Here's the way the Bible says it. We are God's masterpiece. That's you. Doesn't matter how you feel. Doesn't matter what you've been through. We, me and you, we are masterpieces, divinely designed, handcrafted by our God. He has created us anew. So whether it was Noah earlier or all the other people that have been baptized this weekend, I remind them, you are a new creation. Ever less of you, ever more of Jesus. The old is gone, the new has come. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus to do good things he has planned for us to do. Well, Noah just did a good thing that God had planned for him to do. And to be real with you, many of you, Jesus has been praying all week for you to do the good thing of baptism. Maybe you've already been baptized, but you have a next step with Jesus. And maybe you've been a little afraid, maybe you've had some doubts, maybe you've been busy. But he's calling you today to take that next step in relationship with him. So let me give you also the hard truth. This is the Easter reel. We may be born to be stars, but we all have our scars. And that's just real. We've all been deeply wounded in life and we bear the scars because of it. Maybe something really terrible happened to you and you survived it, but you still bear the scars. Maybe somebody significant in your life, a teacher, a coach, a parent, an ex spoke hard, harsh, hurtful words to you. And you let it go, but it still has scarred you. And some scars are self-inflicted. 
We can be emotionally scarred. A failed relationship will scar us. We, a work failure, a financial failure can leave us scarred. We get over the hard stuff, we get over the hurt, but we still live with the scars. In fact, it gets to the point sometimes we are afraid that our scars have ruined our lives. We're afraid that we will never be who God made us to be, that we'll never do the great things he designed us to do. We'll never shine and outshine the others because of our scars. And that's exactly the people in the Easter story, the first Easter story, they felt like the scars had ruined their lives. This is not Sunday. This is the Friday evening before the Sunday. Let me set the scene. It's almost dark. These people are in a panic. Jesus is dead. He's been dead for hours, but he's still on the cross. This is an emergency situation. It's an emotional emergency. They gotta get his body to honor it. They gotta get his body off the cross. Here's what happens. As evening approached, Joseph of Arimathea. Now you'll notice that Marcus, he writes this, he uses specific names to identify people. Why? Because they were still alive when he wrote this. He wanted his readers to know who they were. So the readers, hey, if you doubt what you're reading, you go check it out with the eyewitnesses. They're still alive to talk to. One of them, Joseph of Arimathea, he took a risk. What was the risk? Hey, he's going public with his love for Jesus. He's going public with the fact that he He's a follower of Jesus. The risk is he may be the next guy up on a cross. Joseph of Arimathea took a risk and went to Pilate, that's the governor, and asked for Jesus' body. Pilate told Joseph that he could have the body, whatever, who cares? Joseph bought a long sheet of linen cloth and then he took Jesus' body down from the cross, can just get a mental image. This is not something that was gonna happen quick. This is not something that was gonna be easy. This is gonna be painful. He takes Jesus' body down from the cross, wrapped it in the cloth and laid it in a tomb. He rolled a stone in front of the entrance. Now I've been to the spot a number of times where archeologists after extensive excavation have identified as a empty tomb of Jesus, and the, there's a trough there, so when the stone is rolled, it falls in the trough. It's not just that the stone is huge. How are you gonna get it up out of that trough? He rolls a stone in front of the entrance. Mary Magdalene, another name, and Mary, the mother of Joseph, got to identify her. They saw where Jesus' body was laid. I want us all to feel what they felt as Joseph removed the body of Jesus from the cross because it was gonna take some serious physical effort. He was gonna to have to get up and close with this body of Jesus, the dead body. He was gonna get the blood of Jesus on his clothes. He was gonna get the blood of Jesus on his face. He was gonna to have to remove one nail at a time from wrist after wrist. And after the nails had been moved, removed from the wrist, he was gonna to have to hold on his shoulder or his back the corpse of Jesus. Blood is still coming out. And then he has to make the difficult effort, holding the body of Jesus to remove the last nail spiking Jesus' ankles to the cross. 
And then he gently lays the body of Jesus down on the linen cloth. And the women, when they see it, oh man, they are wrecked. You can't even recognize the face of Jesus. It is beaten beyond recognition. His head is so swollen because he had been bludgeoned again and again and again and again with a club. There's this gaping wound in his side where a soldier shoved a spear up through a lung and into his heart. They see those wounds. They see his back, a bloody mess, and the scars from the whips that ripped around on his chest and tore away bone and chunks of meat. They see those scars, and they think, you know what? It is over. It is done. Jesus is dead. Our dreams died with him. Our hopes died with him. Our lives are ruined. His scars are irrefutable evidence that it's over, and our lives are ruined by the death of Jesus. I kind of have a sense for how they felt about their lives being ruined. Um, It comes from a time in my marriage when my Deb and I were adopting um, a 12-year-old boy in Haiti. And everything that could go wrong in an adoption, it had been like a year and a half of hell. Everything that could go wrong had gone wrong. Debbie lived in Haiti for about nine months. Uh, she's home now, and we get a phone call from Haiti. The boy, his name is Wilkie, he had been hit by a car. And uh, it had broken. The bone, the femur had come apart. Most painful bone in the human body. He was in a hospital, and there was a surgeon there willing to do willing to repair his leg for a thousand American dollars, which sounds like a good deal unless you've been in a Haitian hospital. We said, thanks, but no thanks. The doctor said, okay, I will release your son from the hospital for a thousand American dollars. This guy was getting his grand one way or the other. So we paid the money. Debbie flies back down to Haiti, arranges for a different doctor to come to the orphanage. And there he sets the separated bone without anesthetic. Debbie holds his head. The little boys in the orphanage hold him down and the doctor pulls. And we just felt like it's over. Our adoption is dead in the water. A broken, a severely broken femur, it's over. Our hopes, our dreams of a son Ruined. Um, and that, that, feel, that feeling of hopes and dreams being ruined, it's how that handful of women felt. That Friday evening, all Friday night, all Saturday morning, Saturday afternoon, Saturday night, even into Sunday morning, as they walked, as the sun rose, as they walked to the tomb to honor, to pay their final respects to the body of Jesus. Here's how the Bible takes up the story. Very early on Sunday morning, first Easter, as the sun rose, the women went to the tomb. They worried out loud to each other, who will roll back the stone from the tomb for us? All of us together can't pull this off. Who will solve this painful? All we want to do is honor the body of Jesus. Who 
will help us. For them, it was a painfully impossible problem. No way, in and of themselves, they could get that stone moving up out of that trough. But that stone is emblematic of the painfully impossible problems that you and I face. All of us, if we're alive long enough, we face stuff in life that we just can't handle. We didn't see it coming. And even if we had our suspicions, it is bigger than us. It hurts more than we ever thought it would. It hurts more people than we ever thought it would. The hurt is lasting longer than we ever thought it would. Who's gonna help us? Well, here's what happened. Scripture says, it was when they looked up you see, this is the secret to having an impossible problem, painfully difficult, resolved in your life. Look up in prayer. Look up in praise. Look up in worship. Look up in adoration. Look up and exalt that God is greater. They look up. They looked up and saw that the stone, which was very large, had already been rolled aside. When they looked up, God went to work in their behalf. When they looked up, God did for them what they couldn't do for themselves. When they looked up, God made a way. Same is true for me, same is true for you. When we do a lifestyle of looking up and pray, prayer and praise, God goes to work. God does for us what we can't do for ourselves. God works everything together for the good. God makes everything beautiful in its time. God always makes a way when we look up. And um, there, there was a stone our painfully impossible problem in our adoption, um, it, it, it got rolled away. Um, my Debbie was still in Haiti and um, I was going home once again to an empty dark house. It was Saturday night after church and I walked in the door as the phone was ringing. And remember those phones that had like cords? Yeah. <laughs> it was one of those phones. And I snatched it up, thinking maybe it was Debbie, but the guy on the other end of the line introduced himself as an orthopedic surgeon in Rockford, Illinois. Gave me his name and uh, told me that he has already been in contact with the U.S. government. He said, you don't know me, but I know the story about your son in Haiti, and I will perform the necessary surgery for free. I will send the government documents that indicate that this surgery can only be done in America. And I've already made arrangements with the hospital that all cost will be covered. This will be our gift to you and your son. Your son is coming to America. And that's exactly what happened. That doctor said, your son is coming to America. And on October 15th of that year, Deb and I get Wilkie on a plane. He's got this primitive, painful, ugly cast. You know how casts now, they kind of have a, a cloth on the inside. And it's kind of soft, not this one. It was just plaster right to his leg. Excruciating. That's October 15th. By October 27th, which happened to be the birthday he picked for himself, that's when he underwent surgery. And this orthopedic surgeon, he took a rod and inserted it through his kneecap and up into his femur, all the way up. And uh, 
successful surgery, but there was a huge scar across his knee and all the way up his thigh. But I tell you, I began to thank God that he is still in the business of moving stones. Not just for a boy from Haiti, not just from a no, nobody, nothing guy from Beloit, for you. I don't know what your stone is. I know it's bigger than you. I know it's painfully impossible. And I know that only God can move your stone right. like he did for us. Well, I got to show you this. I got to show you this. If you, if you don't quit clapping, we're not going to get done to like the 4th of July. Um, here, here's what happened. And th this is an indication of what we do when we sense God is moving the stone. When he moved the stone for those women. When he removed their painful impossibility. Here's what happened. They entered, they just walked right into the tomb. And they saw a man clothed in a white robe. It's like an angel. And they were shocked, which is Bible talk for they were so scared they wet their robes. <laughs> the angel said, don't be afraid. I know you're looking for Jesus, the one they nailed to the cross. He is not here. He is risen from the dead. Amen. Now this angelic announcement gives us a simple two-step strategy. One for having the stones moved out of our lives too, for having our scars turned into stars. The first step in this strategy is to push past your fear. Your fear is, is intimidating. Maybe you remember that terrible thing that was done to you, that terrible thing that was said to you, and now you're afraid to try again for fear it won't work out. Or that somebody else will reject you. Someone else will neglect to love you. Someone else will betray you. And so you're afraid. But I want to ask you, what good is your fear doing? I'll tell you something. Your fear is like saran wrap. You can step right through it. And when you step into your fear, it goes away. It diminishes to nothing. And so the first step these women learn that we can learn is you just push past the fear. And number two, step number two, keep pushing toward Jesus crucified. Crucified for your sins. You see, when he was on that cross, it was in your place. He was your substitute. You deserve to be there. I deserve to be there. Jesus willingly hung there and he bore all the punishment due you for all your sin. He took all the consequences of my sin on himself, all God's anger, all God's judgment, all God's condemnation do us for our sin. It all fell on Jesus. The people that are being baptized, I tell them, hey, everything wrong with you, it's on Jesus. And everything right with Jesus is put on you. Anything bad about you, it's all on Jesus. And everything good about Jesus is put on you. That's what happens when you believe that Jesus is the Christ, the son of the living God who died for your sins and rose from the dead. And whether it was Noah earlier, a child, or men or women who have been immersed this weekend, they are sharing in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, and they are taking their next step forward in their relationship with him. The Apostle Paul says that when you submit to the death of Christ 
for you, for your sins, and you believe that God raised him from the dead, it triggers in your life the supernatural power of God to change him. Whatever needs to be changed, whether it's you that needs to change or the circumstances that need to change, the supernatural power of God is triggered when you surrender to Christ crucified for your sins and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. In fact, the apostle Paul said, that two-step strategy, that looks a lot like baptism. Check it out. Paul writes this way. That's what baptism into the life of Jesus means. When we are lowered into the water, it's like the burial of Jesus. We're burying our baggage. We're putting our past behind us. And when we are raised up out of the water, it's like the resurrection of Jesus. And so here we are, Easter 2022. And, you know, maybe you've come today and you've come with your fears. Or you've come with your doubts. I mean, we're just regular folk. No different than the regular folk who follow Jesus because, check this out, the very first time on that Easter that he shows up in the very midst of his followers, look what happens. Jesus says, why are you guys frightened? How is your fear helping you? Why are you frightened and why do you doubt? And he just lets those questions sink in like seeds in their hearts and minds. And then he shows them the evidence. He shows them his scars. Look at the text. Scripture says, Jesus said, look at my hands, look at my feet, touch me. As he spoke, he held out his hands for them to see the marks of the nails and showed them his feet, the wounds in his feet. The scars on the body of Jesus that they thought had ruined their lives actually were the very scars that had saved their lives, that had saved their souls, that had saved their future, that had saved their dreams, that had saved their hope. It's the scars of Jesus that changed everything. So um, I wanted our Wilkie to learn the value of scars. Had the surgery in late October, um, He's fully recovered when spring comes around. And he tells me, Dad, I, I want a new pair of shorts. No problem, son. Let's go. And I, I thought, this is a great chance to tell him how to do man shopping. You go, you grab, you get home. <laughs> um, and, and so I, in my mind, I think we went to McChesney. He was 13, uh, his favorite color was um, orange. And I had no idea how difficult it would be to find a pair of orange shorts for a 13-year-old boy. But we checked out all the stores, drove to Cherryville, and uh, store after store. Finally, in the last place we checked, there was a pair of orange shorts. Well, go try them on, son. Goes into the dressing room, comes out a minute later without the shorts and just keeps walking. Let's go home. Not another word. We, I'm after him and out of the store and into the parking lot. Not another word. Into the car, driving home. And finally on I-90, coming back to Beloit. I said, Wilkie, you wanted a new pair of shorts. So, well, we, we found a pair of orange shorts. So, I look over at him and there, there's this tear 
trickling down the side of his face. And, and now I get it. I pull off to the shoulder of the highway and now I'm all teared up. What a shopping experience. Both of us are bawling. <laughs> I turned to him and I said, Wilkie, those shorts, they didn't cover your scars? No. I said, son, I love your scars. I thank God for your scars. Wilkie, if it wasn't for those scars, you wouldn't be in America. You probably wouldn't even have a leg. I love your scars. If it wasn't for your scars, you wouldn't be my son. Mom wouldn't be your mom. Son, I love your scars. I'll kiss your scars. And I did. That young boy is a man. He is a rock star now. He is a great world-class husband, great world-class dad, great world-class father. But I believe it started for him like it starts for you. God takes the scars and he kisses them and he transforms them into stars. When the Apostle Paul described the starting point for himself on how his scars, his horrible, horrible scars, got turned into brilliant scar, stars, he said it was from this personal challenge that a guy named Ananias gave me. Paul writes this way. Ananias said, what are you waiting for? Get up and be baptized. Have your sins washed away be, by calling on the name of the Lord and I believe it's more than your sins that get washed away in baptism. I believe you are cleansed of all guilt and shame. And I believe the process begins of scars that you have, that I have, that we have, being transformed into stars. We begin to shine like we never have before as we share fully with Jesus in his death, burial, and resurrection as we are filled to the full with the fullness of the living God. Thank you so much for listening to the Central Wire podcast. Be sure to stay connected with us at centralwire.com and have a great week.